Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, May 7th, 2022. Waiting can be really difficult, right? For instance, you just had to wait 10 seconds longer than normal for me to start talking. And that probably caused you some level of disturbance. You're, you're saying, hey, is my phone not working? Hey, what's, what's going on with this podcast? What's the deal? Did I accidentally mute something, right? You're trying to figure out what's the problem and how do I fix it? Well, part of the Christian life is waiting in the era in which we live. We live in the era between the first coming of Christ and his return. That can be difficult at times. That waiting can be hard. So how how do we deal with this waiting that is in our lives? And that's what we're going to see today as we look at John 14. John 14 will be our New Testament reading today. So we've been kind of setting the scene. Jesus is partaking of this final Passover with his disciples. He has washed their feet. Uh, The Lord's Supper has been instituted. Uh, And now we'll, we'll get some time in John where John gives us more than the other gospels do of just the, the conversation uh, and, and really Jesus's final words to his disciples. Uh, we, we talked about the Olivet Discourse, uh, where he talks, especially uh, on a more eschatological theme. Um, earlier in the Passion Week, well, this is often known as the Upper Room Discourse, where Jesus will now teach them in that upper room uh, kind of his final words to his disciples. And today he prepares them for uh, the fact that he is going to be leaving and they will be in this period of waiting. And he wants them not to be disturbed, right? He doesn't want them to be alarmed in this time. Look at what he says in John 14. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, right? He's pointing us to himself. He's pointing us to God the Father um, so that we might not be troubled, that we might not be disturbed in this time of waiting. And we're going to see a few things he gives us that should help us in this season of waiting. And the first is really a promise in verses two and three, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So he gives us this promise really of he's preparing a heavenly home for us. And someday he's going to come back and get us and take us to be with him. That should be a promise. That that tells us what we are waiting for. Well, what about the here and now? And let's just start though. Let's not sell that promise short. Think of the promise of eternity. Your home is not here. Jesus is preparing a room for us in his father's house. He will take us to be with him. That should give you some encouragement. It's easier sometimes to wait when you know hey, well, what I'm going to get is going to be really good. And that's what we can hope for as a Christian. But he also gives us a lot to help us along the way. Um, 
he says there in verse four, and you know the way to where I'm going. But Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Uh, And then he goes on to say, basically, you, you know the father and you have seen him and explains then to Philip, well, because you have seen me. And that's where John 14, 6 is a very famous verse when it comes to evangelism, right? Because we want to believe in, or the world wants to believe that there are many ways to God and it all works out in the end. Well, Jesus says, I am the way and no one comes to the father except through me. That sounds exclusive, right? And and that's not very popular with the world. But that is what Jesus says. And this is an important Bible verse that helps us show people. No, Jesus himself said, you want to get to the father, you got to go through me. There's no other way. But also, I want you to think about the implications of this verse for Christians, because Jesus was speaking to his disciples. And even at this point now, Judas has left the room. He's speaking to the 11 faithful disciples. And he's saying, hey, you know the way because I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And that should help us even as Christians. We got to realize today, how do I live? Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And if I'm looking for the way, if I'm looking for the truth, or if I'm looking for life, I know the way because Jesus is the answer to all of those things. And so that should encourage our hearts as we wait. Which way do we go? The Jesus way. We look to him for truth. We look to him for life, not the things of the world. But a couple other promises Jesus gives that should help us in this time. Uh, What do we've got? Well, we've got the way because we've got Jesus, but we also have this promise of prayer. In verses 12 through 14, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And that's where, I mean, one question that that text begs is, what in the world does Jesus mean when he says we'll do greater works than he did? I mean, he raised people from the dead. Are we going to raise people from the dead? Are we going to, what could be greater uh, than that? Uh, Are we going to raise multiple people from the dead? What's going on here? Uh, And that's where I think the best way to understand this is really he is speaking of the extent. When Jesus dies, he doesn't have a lot of faithful followers. Um, even these 11 guys before the end of this night, they're going to scatter and run away uh, when they come to arrest Jesus. But uh, a few chapters later, as we get into Acts chapter 2, Jesus or Peter is going to preach and 3,000 people are going to get saved in one day. Uh, Jesus fed 5,000. That was pretty cool. But then they, they came back asking for more bread or wanting to meet, make Jesus king. They didn't get it. But the apostles, they start preaching and whew, people start getting saved. I think that is what's going on there when Jesus says greater works than these will, will you guys do? Because you're going to take the gospel all over the world and, and many are going to come to faith in Christ. And then he gets to these amazing verses on prayer. Prayer is going to be what fuels us in these greater things. And that's where 
Again, we we see a lot of passages like this. We already have verses 13 and 14, where he's saying, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. And that's where our, our impulse reaction lots of times is to back, slowly back away from that text. Well, that can't really mean what I think it means. Uh, but and that's where you know there are questions. You know, does that mean I can just say something and it's going to happen, right? We, and you see ways I think that is clearly distorted in kind of a name it, claim it, prosperity uh, gospel that is false. That you see verses like this being used in, and so you're like, eh, I don't, I don't know what those mean. But that's where I, I think instead of backing away from these promises, we need to lean into them. Notice, if you've got a red letter Bible, these words are in red. These are the words of Jesus Christ himself. He says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That Those are Jesus's words. And guess what happens? When Jesus says something, it happens. All of his promises come true. So we need to lean into that. And that's where I think we need to say, well, what does it mean to pray in Jesus's name or even it, the purpose of this is that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And I think we need to start examining our own prayers. Are my prayers really about the cause of Jesus Christ? Are my prayers really that the Father may be glorified? And I think another thing that often gets lost in conversations about prayers, how much of my prayer is really based on the promises of God's word, where I can go to him and say, God, I know this is in your name. I know this is in your will because you have explicitly told me that this is your will. And that's where we can have great confidence in our prayers as you think through these verses. But also, the other thing, not only does he give us the promise of prayer, he gives us the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't get as much into, well, what's the Spirit going to do? We're going to see more of that, especially in chapter 16 um, or even at the, the end of chapter 15. But today, he tells us a lot about what it will be like Look at verse 25. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Or it also speaks of this idea of uh, them coming and making their home with him, right? These are encouraging things. He's going to bring to remembrance where we're going to make our home with him. It says in verse 23, and the result is peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We are waiting. We are not in a world that is as it should be. We are waiting for Christ to take us to the place that he has prepared for us. But in the meantime, how do we deal with the waiting? Well, Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he has given us prayer and he has given us the Holy Spirit. Let those things encourage us. May we lean on those things uh, as we wait for our Savior. Now, in the Old Testament today, we are finishing up the book of 1 Samuel. And so we, we read the end of really the saga between King David and Saul. And you see at the beginning here, Saul going and consulting this medium, this witch, and uh, having an actual interaction with Samuel who tells him, you are going to die. We see David experiencing some drama as the Philistines reject him, which is probably actually the grace of God to take David out of this situation. But then his wives are are captured. The city that he had been given to live in had been attacked. And um, this seems like a very hard situation 
for David. Even some people are talking about stoning him, right? Well, you want to talk about a crisis of leadership. You're trying to lead and people are talking about stoning you. But it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. And then the next verse, he seeks the ephod. Um, and that's where you don't have the priestly garments. You don't, you don't have kind of these Old Testament things. But if you are in a crisis, if you were in a hard time, David sets an example there. He strengthened himself in the Lord, his God, and he sought God. And that's where well, you don't need to go get an ephod to seek the Lord, but he has given you prayer. You've got the Holy Spirit. You can go to God and ask for help in Jesus's name. And even that's where, well, how does that work? How can, you know, it says, whatever I ask in his name, how do I know if I'm asking something in his name? When we go to God and we ask him for something that we clearly see in his word, we know he will give it. When we go to God and say, God, I'm hurting. God, I'm in a hard situation. God, would you strengthen my soul? God, in Hebrews, you say that that we can come boldly to you and find mercy, find grace in the time of need. God, I'm in a time of need. I don't necessarily know what this will look like, but would you give me mercy? Would you give me grace? Those are the kind of prayers that you can know God is going to answer this. And so I can ask it in faith because I know he will give me grace and help because there's no question, well, is this God's will? There's no, God, if it's your will, give me grace and help. It's no, God, you have promised you would give me grace and help. So do what you said. And that's where we can maybe put a little more meat on the bones of what it looks like for us to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, our God. And then in chapter 31, we see the sad story of the death of King Saul, which should grieve all of us. Uh, as we see Saul as somewhat of a tragic figure, it should be a warning to all of us as we are tempted to make excuses or seek things our way or, or um, to deal with jealousy in our hearts, see where it leads to King Saul. And we'll see even how David responds to it in the future. But as we wait, may we rely on Jesus Christ. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. May we rely on this precious gift of prayer and on the Holy Spirit as we wait for our Lord to return. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there listening to this podcast. Hope you have a special day tomorrow.